of season four, and I'm going to get rid of this bit podcast. Aren't you all happy? I'm a little sad about it. You're sad about it? They're I, so I love, bad now. No, I love the bit. It's part of the funniness of it. Is it? It was funny last year, but now I feel like now it's just like, welcome to Sober is the, I don't know what to say here. Yeah. The hundredth time. Um, it's supposed to be me making fun of um, like whatever bad reviews I got, but I don't know. I was afraid that that was devolving into bitterness. What are you going to make it now? I don't know. It'll probably, I'll probably still be doing this. I'll bring it back after one week. Um, all right, guys. Mark's here. I don't. I maybe that was obvious. Hello, Mark Pontius, um, of the band Sudden Movements podcast. <laughs> um, is uh, Mark is here? We're going to talk about hacking interdependence. Mostly, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk for 15 minutes straight, real quick. Um, so people have asked after interdependence bill of rights, because that was such a like cut and dry black and white, like this and this, which isn't usually my style. Uh, people have asked like, okay, well, how do you actually apply this in day to day interactions with people in your life? And the goal of the interdependence bill of rights was to give us like a core, Like a core set of values at the core. And these are just obviously take or leave any of this shit. Who am I to tell you what to do with anything? But these are things that I have found in my year-long journey of unameshing and getting free from codependency. These are things that I have found that if this is the answer at the bottom, like if this is the core logical answer to things, that my feelings are valid, I don't get to – and I'm – and I – I have the right to share my feelings. I don't have the right to decide what you do with them. I don't have the right to share my feelings with the intent of manipulating you with them. If that is what I know at the core, it helps me in situations where I am navigating triggers and programming and attachment stuff where I don't get re-emeshed. And the reason that I am seeking a life free from codependency and and full of interdependence is because codependency sucks. Like this model sucks. None of us are happy. Codependency told us that we have the right to police other people's actions and that other people are responsible for our feelings. And obviously there's nuance here. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about um, privilege and working together as a community and situations in which there's already an imbalance, right? So if there's already an imbalance, if I already have your shit, I do have to give you your shit back. This episode, we're going to talk specifically about the programming of anxious and avoidant attachment and codependency in a romantic relationship. And I'm going to parade my romantic relationship out once, one time, um, just to give specific examples, because it's a lot easier to kind of see where I've done the work. Um, I have had a very public, public podcast relationship, and um, that put a lot of weight, a lot of um, tension, pressure is the word I'm looking for on that relationship. And I'm not interested in doing that again. So this won't be a regular thing. But for the sake of people asking questions, like in the specific, like, what do you do? And obviously, this is a five month old relationship. So I'm not claiming to have it figured out by any stretch. For me personally, my programming, and I'll get into this, my programming causes 
on ramps to be the most difficult part for me. So in relationships, you have on ramps and then you have the drive and then you have the off ramp. Some people really struggle with off ramps. I really can be over a relationship very fast. I'm like, okay, we're done here. All right. I process pretty quick. I'm pretty good in the relationship itself if I've had a successful on ramp. So I have pretty much, uh, due to the, um, specifics of a relationship starting during the actual apocalypse, I think I have experienced um, quite a bit of the on-ramp of this uh, already. So I'm just going to share a little bit about what I've figured out so far. Obviously, interdependence is new to me, but gonna I'm going to explain some of that in action. And then I think sometime in the next couple of weeks, if you guys are into this, uh, we do have like a roommate situation here with a couple of roommates. And of course, We've had, we're all locked in this goddamn house, you know, so we've had some, a conflict feels like too strong of a word because when you have these like core values, it really does force you that when you are um, having confrontations or having tension or triggers, you really do have to take so much responsibility for yourself that I conflict doesn't feel like the right word, but we've had some moments uh, between the four of us that um, I think everyone's down to do a podcast together to kind of talk about, okay, what does this look like in friendship relationships or like um, co-working relationships and then maybe get into some family stuff too, if you guys are into that. So here's the reason that this this work on codependence is woo as fuck. Because I know that sometimes when we get down into the relationship stuff, people who want us to be talking about galactic uh, space cats and shit all the time are like, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to go to this class. And here's why codependence is an impediment to finding your passion. Okay. So finding your, your 60 thing. So your 60 thing is passion, right? Your 5d thing is water. It's emotion. It's the emotional body as we are evolving and kind of installing these 5d downloads where we're able to exchange energy Codependence is an issue because codependence is um, me like externally trying to get something from someone else. And society celebrates this. This is really the rules uh, by which society operates. And um, it's it's uh, it's interesting right now to watch people just kind of lock into whatever it is their values are. You see a lot of people who are pro-police, weirdly, but like anti-mask. Like they think wearing a mask, which the mask, to the best of the knowledge that we have right now, protects other people. And so we are not, there's people living in this codependent thing that love this idea of having police and government tell you what to do, but then they, like they don't like being forced to just have like a shred of empathy for someone else. So... um the codependency model says that you, if we are in a romantic relationship, you are responsible for my feelings. And that when I am feeling triggered, um, I have the right to tell you that you have to behave differently. Codependency also says that, like, as a parent, I have the right to, like, guilt my child into calling me more often. And nobody's happy in this, in this structure. Nobody... Nobody's getting what they want. We're all kind of manipulating each other into meeting our needs, but then nobody's doing it because it's not authentic and it feels weird. And then we're all unhappy. Um, so the, uh, I got off on that fucking 
the mass thing is so crazy. The the what do you call that? The Venn diagram of pro cop anti mask is fucking fascinating to me. Someone can pull me over. They can hide behind a bush and then fucking pull me over for getting for forgetting to use a blinker that had no effect on anyone's life. They can entrap me into something where I just spaced off in my car and then gave me they can give me a ticket for that. That's fine. Don't make me cover up my spit particles, my COVID-19 positive spit particles at fucking Kroger. I want to be able to murder as many senior citizens as I want. That is my freedom. That is my God-given freedom as an American. It's such a strange Venn diagram. Y'all are wild. Love cops. Cops beating people. Cool. That's my right to get beaten by the police so that I can... Have extra blood, I don't know, to accidentally spit on the elderly. Anyway, um, (laughs) where were we? Sixth dimension. (laughs) All right, so the sixth dimension's about passion. Okay, and so this is about what makes your heart sing. And for a lot of people, the thing that, that is going to make your heart sing is already in you, and you're having a hard time figuring out what it is because figuring out what do I want is a, is a difficult question for a lot of people to answer. And it's a difficult question for a lot of people to answer because we have been trained to do what everyone else tells us to do. This is what society says is appropriate for you because you're a woman. This is what society says you're appro- is appropriate for you because you're in this class. This is what society says you should do. This is what you should do if because this is what your partner wants. This is what you should do because otherwise your friends are going to be mad at you. This is what you, you're just told and programmed your entire life. So unplugging from that and being like, what I want is okay. Um, requires a lot of vulnerability. We also have a lot of pressure from society that you need to get like certified and everything. And, you know, obviously I'm not saying all certifications are bad or all education is bad, but sometimes we're just doing what society tells us to do. I have to have a degree to do this. Well, what if you're just very talented in this area? This is what we're moving towards is a society where talent trumps, I don't know, a piece of paper. I think we're going to get away from these pieces of paper. I think what we're seeing right now is a lot of these systems are, someone just made these systems up. These are not universal law. Laws are not universal truths. They are just shit that other people made up. And as everyone's kind of waking up from this illusion and realizing that the government is fucking garbage and it's corrupt and that we are actually just being run by fucking corporate overlords that like maybe we should just make up our own rules because your rules are lame. That requires vulnerability. God, I'm on one today. That requires vulnerability. Vulnerability and intimacy. Because when we get past that and you're not hiding behind a certification and now it's just like, oh, well, I know I have an idea. I have an idea for how I could help people. I see this need here, this need that was created by this new world that is being born. And I think that I could help people. But I don't see anyone else doing this and I don't see that there's a name for it and I kind of channeled it or I, I, I learned it in a dream. But that's scary. That's very vulnerable to go out or like, I don't know, a kind of music that you haven't heard anywhere else before, but you hear it and you make it and then you keep it secret because like I've never heard uh, this music anywhere else. Who, and so, who, who are you talking about? Um, I don't know. Am I staring straight to your face? <laughs> It's vulnerable, it right? It's scary. It's, it's terrifying. Scary. And it's it's easier to take a path that 
has already been laid out for you. And this was like, I tell the story all the time, but um, I spent my 30s looking at Wikipedia pages when we would be watching, um, Jason would be watching a show and then I'd be like, who's this actress? She seems like she's in her 30s. And then I would look to see when she made it in Hollywood or like writers, you know, and they were all like established their careers in their 20s. And so then I would be like, dude, no one, I'm 36, I'm 37, I'm 38, I'm 39. Like nobody goes and like creates a career in Hollywood at 40. And then finally the aliens got exhausted and they were like, dog <laughs> you're probably right but um since when do you take the path that someone else created like you don't even like that you hate taking that path you like to go out there and create your own path so go do it and I did and that's what a lot of you were here to do and the reason it's so hard to find that thing or to like imagine you just stepping out and being like here is a talent of mine I know how to talk people through this particular type of stress. I know how to make these sounds that I've never heard anyone make before, but I think that they're good for people. I have this new modality. I have this new gift that I want to share that's so fucking vulnerable when nobody did it before you because you can't stand behind the certificate. That certificate's just someone who paved a path and then decided that they were an expert on it. And that's not the thing. That's not bringing your thing. I'm not shitting on people who have certifications. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm talking about is the vulnerability of taking your thing and bringing it to the collective. That is terrifying. And a lot of us are not even capable of doing that because we are so afraid of intimacy. And this is where that five-dimensional work of healing this fear of intimacy comes from. So um, I know I talk a lot on this podcast about attachment systems. And I talk a lot about the book Attached. And I've read some other things on the subject, and I'm not married to the way that it's laid out in the book Attached. But I think there's so much value in understanding that some of the ways that we behave in relationships are programming. And when you really understand the mechanisms of that programming, I learned about attachment parenting, oddly, when um, before Phoenix was born, because I knew that I had issues with not attaching to people the way that I'm supposed to. I would look at the way that other people were. I mean, I had my first daughter when I was a teenager and I spent most of her early childhood judging myself and hating myself because I was like, why, why, doesn't it se- why doesn't it feel the same way for me that I assumed it felt for other people because um, I was a child? Um, and so I did some research into attachment parenting with Phoenix before Phoenix was born as to make sure that I bonded correctly with Phoenix. And the the basic premise of attachment parenting is that if a child's needs are just intuitively met by a parent um, from birth, they will kind of expect that from life. I'm way oversimplifying it, but they will kind of expect that from life. And so you, it's pretty exhausting because you just never let the baby cry for like two years. You just, the second they whimper, you kind of go meet that need. And one of the, the, the needs that they talk about is the need for physical affection, which is something that I have a hard time with. And um, anyway, was a, I'm so happy that I parented uh, my children that way, not judging anyone who doesn't. It was really good for me to like physically bond with them. Um, and then I, I didn't look into much about 
what attachment parenting, I, I remember reading a little bit about it creating a secure attachment style. And then I read a little bit about anxious and avoidant attachment in my research of like parenting that way. And um, I didn't encounter that again for about a year, um, two years ago, maybe a friend of mine, I was discussing a relationship with someone like a cycle I was in and in a relationship. And she was like, oh, that person has an avoidant attachment style. That's what's happening. They need more space. And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, and it sounds like you're anxiously attached. And I was like, no, I am famously detached. Like I have a hard time attaching to anyone. And um, anyway, eight months later, whatever, figured out, I texted her like, holy shit, I am anxiously attached. And so we've talked a lot about this on this podcast and I do so much fucking content now that I can't remember where I talked about what. So pardon me if that was a repeat of a story. But my new theory, this actually isn't a new theory, but a theory I'm positive of right now is that um, it's not anxious attachment versus avoidant attachment. It is secure attachment versus insecure attachment. And uh, securely attached people are people who just expect relationships to be easy like just you know they expect to love and be loved and there's just not a ton of thought or energy in it they have a nice little honeymoon phase and then they just have kind of balanced relationships when they get together with each other and then but the relationship doesn't take up a shit ton of space in their in in their reality because it just is like yeah we, we have a cool relationship and then we have this other life and and then breakups aren't a devastating thing that takes them 10 years to get over. They just kind of, they, they break up. They're like, okay, well, this is the rational time to part ways. Like it's sadness, but closure. And then they're just fine. Um, because they have these easy on-ramps and easy off-ramps, they don't have a bunch of like squirrely stuff in the, in the interim because they're not, they're not afraid of the ending. They just kind of are like, you know, bummer. That's crazy, right? So there aren't a lot of secure people in the dating pool because they get into relationships relatively quick and they just stay in them for a long time. And so the rest of us are some variation on the spectrum of fear of intimacy. This is my new, my new old theory that is not mine. I didn't, I didn't create this, but so avoid an attachment. I try to make this as short as possible. Avoid an attachment are people who proximity closeness triggers them. Like, when people get too close, they get freaked out. And so they do something called deactivating strategies where in their mind just start saying like, oh, I don't like the way that she breathes or I didn't realize he chews so loud or I don't, I don't he's not hot. I thought he was hot. Maybe he's not hot. I didn't, you know, I don't really want a relationship. And they just start, they like panic and they try to separate themselves. They try to get physical proximity. They tend to get triggered after big intimate things like vacation or sex. And there's different kinds of avoidance. There's like fearful avoidance. Those are people that want intimacy, but then react to it like this. And then there's like dismissive avoidance. And I'm going to focus on fearful avoidance. Anyway, read the book Attached if you want to know more about this. Uh, most of the people listening, I think, have already kind of like looked into this subject or already knew about it. But a lot of the conversation is around avoidance versus anxiously attach people. And in the in the attachment conversations, avoidance get a lot of shit 
because they tend to be the ones that pull back and they make the anxiously attached. Now, anxiously attached proximity freaks them out when it's too far away. So when there's physical distance, uh, when someone's having a bad day and being quiet, when there's a long distance thing, uh, they need like constant reassurance or that's the way they experience it is that they need constant reassurance. So when you get an like an anxiously attached and an avoidant together, it turns into this um, this push-pull thing um, because one is trying to needs more proximity and the other one needs less proximity. So ideally everyone gets together with a secure because a secure can just kind of hang. But if you get a secure together with an anxious and an avoid or an avoidant, it can affect a secure. Cause if you're just like chasing down a securely attached person, you haven't done any work to try to like bring your anxious attachment system into balance. You can push someone away. You know, you, when you ask people, why haven't you called me? Why didn't you call me? How come you didn't call me? You could have at least called me. You know, anyone is going to pull back from that. So this is where um, it's really helpful to kind of take responsibility for our own attachment stuff and our own feelings and the way that we tend to behave in, rest- in restaurants. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that makes me think of the 18 minutes for cheese person. Did you see that? Yeah, man. Jesus. Can you imagine I can't. I couldn't believe that. I, I thought it was a joke at first. I thought it was like they were being ironic. The um, feed was pretty funny, though. It but. is. The comments were hilarious. Go to Twitter and look up hashtag 18 minutes for cheese if you want a good laugh at um, made up problems. Anyway, so my current theory is that all insecure attachment is avoidance and that it's all fear of intimacy and when we are afraid of intimacy, it can manifest one of two ways, either trying to be in a relationship and then deactivating and pushing out of it or attaching ourselves to someone who's doing that, right? So like an anxiously attached person pursuing an avoidant person because, and this is something I did. So I, this was like a harsh reality I had to come to because at one point I was like, he just wants someone that doesn't want him so that he doesn't have to deal with his fear of intimacy. And the aliens were like, (coughs) (laughs) literally, what are you doing? And I was like, fuck. So when we're chasing someone who doesn't want a relationship with us or isn't emotionally available for a relationship with us, we can get so caught up in the this and that. And it was, you know, like the exhilaration of, oh, does he like me? What does this mean? Decoding text and stuff is like, it's not that... When someone wants to be with you, they're just going to be with you and it's just going to be fine and it's not going to be weird and it's not going to be a push pull, right? It's just, it's just going to be like as an anxiously attached person or someone on the spectrum who can easily become anxiously attached, we should really just be pursuing relationships with people who are completely emotionally available because it's swimming upstream no matter what. But when we tend to only look for people who, uh, you know, really like us in the beginning and then pull back or something, we have to start to ask ourselves, like, why am I pursuing these relationships? Am I maybe desperately afraid of intimacy myself? And it's just much easier to focus on your fear of intimacy than to ask these questions of myself. And I think the answer is yes. I think um, intimacy is scary. Vulnerability is scary. And we have a desire for closeness, but we haven't really done the work a lot of times to like be capable of that. And so we just take this restlessness and then we just, we find our own hamster wheels of chasing something from someone else. Even in situations where I've gotten 
I've been in relationships with secure people, I can make them avoidant in that on-ramp phase. Like that on-ramp phase is so terrifying for me. It's so hard for me. I like, I fall in love very fast. I fall in love in like 24 hours. I will know every long-term relationship I've ever had. I've known the, like the day I met someone that's like, I'm in love and that's going to be a long-term relationship. And it's cool. I have very short honeymoon phases before I become paranoid about them that they're going to hurt me. It's it's a very quick switch. It goes from like, oh my God, this person's so amazing, uh, perfect for me, whatever. And then they instantly become a suspect because in my childhood experiences, someone close to me who had access to me like that, like people hurt me. And so it's 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 a natural, like the other shoe's gonna drop. It's, a, it's like this ominous, like impending doom feeling. And... I have to get kind of an established database of leaving and coming back, right? So when we leave babies to cry in the crib, and this isn't, you know, uh, no offense to people who do this, but the, the theory behind attachment parenting, the idea is that babies... C- only way of getting their needs met is to cry and they have like stages of crying they have like uh rustling and then whimpering and then a little bit louder cry and then a little bit louder cry and that one like hysterical cry that babies do is cortisol is just being pumped into their system but by that point uh according to attachment parenting the child is convinced that they're going to like that they're never going to see their parent again so people with attachment damage kind of have that experience people with anxious attachment tend to go through this cycle it's very much what it feels like as i've like unpacked it i also have object permanence which i i read a tweet recently that that is maybe a symptom of adhd but i just have a really hard time with if something's not in front of my face it just ceases to kind of exist a little bit i don't know how to really articulate that but the sensation is is that it doesn't exist anymore so like um, that's kind of weird in relationships. And then I have hypervigilance. So hypervigilance is, and these are all things from like not feeling safe in childhood, but people with less traumatic childhoods also have these symptoms. So, um, hypervigilance for me, I am completely aware at all times of, of the exact vibe and where everyone is at when they are around me. And if there is a change or a shift in tone in any way there's just a part of me that picks it up and when this was more of an unconscious mechanism um i would get triggered and it was really easy for me to feel like nobody likes me or you know what i mean i'm unwanted here and it's usually fixated on partners because i have like really kind of memorized their their way of being their body language everything else So when someone's right in front of me, my brain is constantly doing math equations and is like, you know, uh, inflection in voice, body language, proximity, physical affection, like it's, it's keeping track of all these things. But partners have their own shit that they're going through and their own, uh, thoughts and their own loops and their own, uh, issues. And so I, in past relationships when I was younger without knowing any of this stuff could make things about me that weren't about me. And so a lot of this work has been unpacking these, these mechanisms, this programming and figuring out a way to actually be able to have a 
functional on-ramp without doing damage to the relationship. So now when you take this anxious attachment system, I feel like rambling for two hours. When you take this anxious attachment system and then you give it the rules of codependency, which are celebrated by society, which say that I get to make it your problem, you end up fucking relationships up. When the reality is, is that I have, the, this, is the, this is the result of my childhood and this is my programming to deal with. And it's not your problem. It's, I mean, it's, it's your problem in that we are in a relationship. So this is something that we are going to have to like traverse together. But it's not your job to fix it or to make me feel better. I see a lot of advice about like anxious. If you want to date someone who has an anxious attachment system, they need to be constantly reassured. And I tried that on for a little bit. But um, that really takes the power away from me. And I believe that it, an attachment system, when we become aware of it, it is something that can be brought into a manageable process so that I don't have to be tossed about by my attachment system anymore. And, you know, in a relationship with someone who's open to um, working together to get through it. But I don't feel like telling you you have to reassure me all the time is the way to work through it because – what if you're in a weird space or what if you're out of town or what? Like I need to be able to like kind of find the controls on this thing and work through it. What's the ways that you would usually uh, deal with that? You just bring up the emotion as a, here's how I'm feeling or is it, you know, without telling the other person, like you need to do this. So what's interesting is previous to my last relationship, I didn't know any of these things. I didn't know, I had never looked into attachment stuff. I, I was in a long marriage that was very function. Like we never fought. We got along great. We disagreed on a ton of stuff, but we did a really good job of like allowing the other, you know, just like keep that stuff away from me. And, and um, there were, but he was a very strong personality and, and we got together um, right after getting clean. And so neither one of us had like there was no vulnerability or intimacy in that relationship like neither one of us were like to the place to like heal that part of ourselves yet so that made it far less triggering and also early in the relationship in the on-ramp phase I try to do all this like I feel like a caged animal in that phase I'm just like I'm pulling loose threads on the sweater I can damage a relationship pretty easily in the first couple of months because I, I get suspicious and then this protective mechanism shows up and I, I start to put the person like in, um, put the person on the stand you know um, but my husband wasn't having that. He was like, uh, I don't know what this shit is that you're doing. Does you need to get your blood pumping? I want to be in a relationship with you. I love you. I'm fucking here. But like, I'm not doing whatever this is. And I was like, all right, well, damn. Um, and so he just wasn't having it. And then there was a phase right after getting married that I try to be like controlling or whatever, which is my bullshit. Just like early recovery it was like sanctimonious as fuck. And he just also wasn't, he was just like, shut up, like, shut up. <laughs> or I'd be like, you need to do this. And he was like, I don't need to do, and you're not, you're literally not my boss. I'm not doing anything you say. So it was just kind of, um, and he never told me what to do. So it was a very, like, uh, worked well, you know. And then there came a point where I needed to, like, tap into my emotional body. And, and you know, the, that marriage just ran its course. And the next relationship um, I thought I was cured. I thought I was an expert on relationships. I didn't realize like how much of that functioning relationship was my extremely um, insecure attachment style just 
like being kept afloat by his very secure attachment style. So my next relationship was kind of an on again, off again, you know, like I wanted something different than he wanted. And um, in the beginning, I did this thing that I think a lot of us do in relationships where you pretend to be okay with things that you aren't okay with, you know, or you um, develop an, an idea in your head of what this person is. I think this is called a fantasy bond. Early in the relationship, in the honeymoon phase, you're like, oh, you project all these qualities that you want onto this person. And then it's pretty obvious pretty quick that like, you know, um, and I think it's usually I think a lot of us do this, that this isn't what you think it's going to be. And then you you're not honest. Like I wasn't honest about what I wanted, even with myself. Like I convinced myself like, oh, no, cool. Like a fuck buddy thing. That'll be cool. Knowing I'm madly in love with this person. And things I know now about myself is that casual sex doesn't work for me um, and that I need a very stable relationship. I can't have it like early on. I think after a relationship's established, we can start to play around with other other things. But I need a very established relationship because of that on-ramp is so difficult. But I was just trying to do a bunch of shit I wasn't okay with. And um, he was doing the same. We were both like we were both like making ourselves small for each other and trying to fit this square peg into a round hole. No pun intended. It just wasn't working. And... Um, what happens, I think, in early relationships when you try to pretend to be something you're not so that the person will like you is that lasts for a couple of months and then you're triggered as fuck because you said you were okay with something that you're not okay with. So when you're like someone says, oh, I like, you know, I, I, I like someone who's independent and what, you know, like they're listing off qualities that, you know, you don't really have, but you're, you're, you're like, and it's all unconscious. Like now I can look back and be like, oh my God, I was lying. Like I was just lying. But it, I, I was running this PR campaign about how I am so low maintenance and easygoing, which is true in the, in the context of a stable relationship that's like super established. I am very freedom oriented and I do my own thing and I don't require a ton of like anything, but this person didn't want to have a, a stable fucking marriage relationship with me. So I, it just wasn't true. And in my campaign of that, my um, PR campaign, I now have like committed myself to a, a situation that is triggering the fuck out of me. And rather than being honest and being like, Hey, I wasn't being honest. This doesn't work for me. I now have to make it your problem, right? And codependency lets me do that. Codependency, the rules of codependency say that if I'm upset, it's your fault. And uh, if you're not committing to me, you're taking advantage of me. When like interdependence would say very open conversations, everything requires a lot of communication, but all of the communication in codependency has like you're working an angle, you know? So it's like interdependence would say, hey, listen, I need a committed relationship. Are you into that? And then if the person says no, then I would say I would be honest and say, okay, because I can't do a fuck buddy thing. I can't do an intimate relationship and we call it friendship. Like it's too, it's just like, I really like you, but it's just not working. But codependency, you know, it's just like uh, a lot of if he would just, then I would be happy. If he would just, you know, stay home and hang out with me, then I would be happy. If he would just give me this, I would be happy. If he would give me uh, affection, then I would be happy. If he would commit to this, then I would be happy. But like all my happiness is relying on you. 
and I'm trying to get that, you know, or I'm trying to like make you jealous. That's a, a thing that anxious attachment people do is they try to make their partner jealous to try to like, you're trying to steer someone with ever, without directly asking for it. And when we do directly ask for things, we're trying to elicit, like we're trying to manipulate an outcome. So it's like interdependence would say, okay, um, what do you want? What do I want? Is there a compromise? If there's not, then okay, we're just not meant for each other. Codependence, that's like, you can't even fucking fathom that. It has to be this person. I have a fantasy in my head of what this person could be if they would just do this. And um, codependency really locks into like one person rather than just giving them the freedom to be. And a codependent would say, okay, well, if you don't want to be in a relationship with me, then I'm going, you know, or you don't want to love me like this or give me this, then I'm going to move on. But in codependency, that's a threat. That's a threat meant to get you to get in the right lane. You know, in interdependence, it really is an open like if this isn't what you want, man, I love you so much. I respect your rights. Like, to be honest, I'm not in a place to be friends at the moment. Like, let me go, like, deal with my own shit, you know? And this is like keeping your hand open like that through the whole relationship. So even if you do get in a committed relationship, if there comes a point where, like, you want to stay home all the time and I want to be out all the time or you, you know, these things aren't lining up anymore, we say, like, hey, this doesn't make sense anymore, so I'm going to let you go do your thing. The fantasy bond seems to be like the gate to that, right? It seems to be like the real kicker of if you, you can't ever over-identify with that because then you're then you're able to be truthful and not, uh, you know, irrational or not being honest. It's because it's you're like attached to this fantasy. Yeah. I feel like that's my, that's definitely, I've been a victim of that so many times and caught myself into in a codependent relationship. I feel like I've mostly been securely attached in, in a lot of my relationships, but I have become anxiously attached or avoidant because because of a misunderstanding of somewhere like I, I you know in the past a lot of my relationships have been I've been told that I don't have I don't know how to love and I don't know how to give what they need but it's mostly been in the vice of like this is what I need and you're not giving it to me so uh, for this to work you have to give that to me and I would then make myself small and say okay that, that's that means uh, that would be love if I did that. Okay, so what do I need to do then? And then I'd try to do those things. But then it would become something where I like uh, would almost like forget to do it because it's not coming from a genuine place. And it's not like how I necessarily love them. So I would do that, but then they would become dependent on that. And then I would become dependent on trying to give that all the time because that's what they needed and I couldn't do it half the time. Not because I didn't love them, but because that that was like not something that was uh, my way of loving or whatever it was. But I also would get the fantasy bond thing resonates so hard for me because that's been a, a typical thing of me too. Is that I up front um, in the honeymoon phase, I get a lot of signals of I think this person is uh, independent and they're and they're uh, securely attached. But then as it goes forward, it, that reveals itself to not be that. And uh, I typically then start to protect myself and put up some walls and then that makes it worse and then we start to grow apart and then I eventually say, okay, well, I'm going to put this down. But in, in all those relationships, I have left them being like, damn, I don't think I know how to love. Like I can't do this thing when I'm kind of being told how to love them. 
And uh, I definitely, for, for a while, I mean, I, I, I thought that that's just what it was. My relationships would last usually around like a year to two years, um, which I guess is kind of a long time, but um, they were pretty, pr- like, pretty similar in the in the path of like, it's really great for a little bit and there's this fantasy thing that develops and then it slowly starts to water down and it becomes difficult to hang on to that fantasy. And I typically, it is kind of, it has been easy for me to just put those down because I can internally and subconsciously, I can tell it's just not going to work and I'm able to just like put that, put that away. But it is interesting to get kind of caught up in the idea of, uh, or in the feeling of feeling like I'm not enough, but in my head, knowing that like I, what I was, what I typically am looking for is just an independent thing where we, uh, can kind of both exist separate of each other. But then when we come together, it it is great and it's easy and effortless. Uh, you know, there's obviously give and take and you find that middle spot, but yeah, I think in the past it's, it's it's been difficult for me to navigate those places and, and really feel like I can, I am loving correctly, you know, but it's interesting, you know, getting into this relationship, it has been very easy. I think because it's also, you're just so educated. I feel like that's what you, you, you have been hacking this for so long. So upfront talking about a lot of these things, it's raining now. Will you be able to pull the rain out? Um, I'm not quite that much of a God yet. (laughs) (laughs) Stop the rain. Uh, maybe it's kind of loud. Just a real quick thunderstorm coming through, fucking everything up. We got an hour to record this. Yeah, the studio is not super soundproof. It's kind it's, of embarrassing when it gets caught like that, but it's part of the magic. You got it. You're su- you're succumb to nature. You have to succumb to nature. Yeah, this would be perfect in like Arizona, where they don't or it doesn't rain. Yeah, but I love rain. I made that sound again on accident. Maybe that's just a uh, sound that, com- that comes out of my throat. Um, back to interdependence. And now, back to interdependence. I don't know, remember what you were saying. Something about me being awesome. Yeah, it was something about how much I love you. I think when we first met, we um, I never shut the fuck up about this stuff, but one of the conversations that we had was about um, you, you express like, I feel like I always think it's going to be this thing. And then it's, it turns into this other thing. And I can really relate to the other side of that because I feel like people are attracted to me because I present as very independent and I present as not needing a lot and being low maintenance, whatever, because I'm like on my own bullshit all the time. And those things are very true for me when I'm single. But when someone starts to get close to me, that fear of intimacy takes over and then I become preoccupied with the relationship because I'm actually preoccupied with my safety. Now, the location of my Chiron and everything else, like I I am, I do learn a lot through the relationships in my life and I have learned a lot like through the love relationships I've had. I've taught myself a lot and used those mirrors quite a bit to grow and expand. I think I'm definitely a like long-term relationship person, which was something I just had to finally like be honest about. But I think probably a lot of people who fell in love with me felt tricked 
you know, because I am this thing. And then we get together where I am pretty laid back. Like I don't, I'm not very, I don't think, right. I'm not like, I'm, I don't feel like I'm nitpicky or critical or, um, could it just be that you were looking for uh, a secure attachment relationship too, though? Like, well, I mean, I guess maybe you had that with your in your marriage. Yeah, I just I those on ramps. So, like, in educating myself about attachment stuff, and after this this last relationship, where it's so embarrassing at the beginning of this relationship, we did, or at the beginning of this relationship slash podcast we had together. I do. He's like mourning his divorce and I just this is your past relationship. Yeah. My last relationship after the marriage. I just do this sanctimonious episode about open open handed love. And I'm probably talking about interdependence. But whenever I take like a real like arrogant stance on something, I fall on my face every single time. So it was almost as if the universe was like, and now she'll show her work because I was really just kind of if I'm being honest now, I look back and I'm like, okay. Um, I was in love with him. He was mourning his ex-wife. And then I was giving this like preachy, this is, I was just kind of like, hurry up and get over your ex-wife so we can, you know, I mean, they had been divorced for years, but yeah, I was just basing everything on my last relationship and just assumed, and I've done this before where like I heal something and then I, you know, we all do this where we heal something and we're like, we're done. And it's like the spiral comes back around and you're like, you thought you were done. So once I learned about um, attachment stuff and codependency, I learned about codependency last year. The thing that's really the thing that's really interesting is I feel like knowing these programs exist and being honest with yourself about their existence is 70 percent of the battle of hacking these things, because we he and I, I found out we were. I was codependent, like in a full codependent meltdown. And if you want to listen to that uh, episode that I will never listen to again, I think it's, oh, I guess I'm codependent from last year. I found out about codependency because I thought it meant something else. And then I started to like just observe it in myself and just watch it in myself. So people ask me like, what do I do with this attachment stuff? I think observing it, being completely honest with yourself about it, absorbing all of the information you can get your hands on about it. So that when it's when it's popping up, you can see it. As far as avoidance, um, I recommend this book. It's an older book, and so it's really gendered in a way that's annoying. It's a little sexist because the guy just attributes avoidance to men and um, and anxious attachment to women. But he does present this idea that these are just two sides of the fear of intimacy coin. He calls it commitment phobia. I don't really think it has to do with commitment. I think, um, you know, he's kind of going by this old, like, people don't want to be, like, held down. But there's tons of stories. And in the stories, I feel like we can recognize aspects of ourselves. I think a lot of us that identify as avoidant are just avoidant when we interact with people who are emotionally available or who are anxious. And those of us who identify as anxious tend to seek out partners. Like, I personally, I don't think I've ever dated anyone that was anxious. Um, because if someone came at me with the energy that like I've come up with, I would, I would shut down. Like I would deactivate so hard. I would be instantly grossed out by him not be able to have sex with them. Like I can't, you cannot come at me like that. I have a really hard time. Um, my mom comes at me a little hard. I definitely can't have sex with her. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, my mom does like the guilt, you know, like, well, haven't talked to you. And I'm just like, that shuts me down. 
I think anytime when someone's like telling you you're doing something wrong by not wanting to hang out with them. And I never felt entitled to that sort of thing. That's called like a protest behavior in anxious attachment. Um, I never felt, I never said stuff like, why haven't you called me? Why haven't you texted me? Whatever. Because uh, I feel like I'm leaving myself open for you to say, because I didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm not saying you. We haven't really dealt with this stuff. But anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to lose my spot. So uh, first I dealt with the codependency, which was a lot bigger. And he and I were still in this like connection working together and stuff for like seven months. And it was great because it gave me a place where I was getting triggered and was able to like slowly stop these behaviors that went along with it. What's interesting. And I, I feel like I may have said at the beginning of this, that what we're going to talk about is things we figured out is a new relationship and a it's a lot easier in a new relationship where you haven't you've like never established blaming each other for stuff. Once in my experience with my relationships, once I cross the line, like once we cross the line in a relationship, like blaming, yelling, calling each other names, like I never like could come back from that. You know what I mean? Once it's easy, once you're mad that you you start the blame game or whatever, um, it's really difficult to come back from that. So I think in early in relationships, you establish the the way that you're going to communicate and the way like what the rules are. And then it's very important when I'm triggered that I don't throw that out the window and get reckless because I think we chip. I think relationships are so much more delicate than we know and they, they feel like they're a super strong bond because then we trauma bond with each other so when you fight and fuck and fight and fuck and fight and fuck a few times you're so enmeshed that you feel like this bond is unbreakable we'll do this forever but it's it's because you're in like a toxic fucking brambled up knot with each other that's not some super tight soul bond we like to pretend like this is fucking soulmates and shit it's just like no you're enmeshed but you're now you're just you're chained to this person having this awful nightmare relationship together where I feel like an interdependent relationship really requires us to slow way down. And so that's what I have found for myself is um, I learned everything I could get my hands on about attachment stuff, um, really examined past relationships and had to get really, really honest. And in the last relationship, because there was like a chase, like me chasing him for a lot of it. I was able to really hide and lie to myself about a lot of it, like lie to myself about my own fear of intimacy. And during times where he did what I wanted, you know, there were times where he was like, okay, and just like committed and, and did all the things that I said would make me happy. They didn't make me happy. And that is a hard truth, man. That is a hard truth when you're hiding all of your own work that needs to be done behind. If you would just, then I would be happy. Because then when they do it, and then you have to move the line, right? Then you're like, okay, yeah, but you did it like this when I wanted you to do it like this. Or you, you didn't, you, I could tell you didn't want to do it. It's like, yeah, bitch. He you didn't told say, he, me to do it. Yeah, yeah, you told me to do it. You like, can feel the like lack of uh, authenticity under it. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And it's such a painful place to be, man. It's such a painful place to be in that loop in a relationship. And this is why I like... I swore I would never feel this way again, and I'm never fucking doing this again. And in order to never feel this way again, I have to figure out how to get myself out of this. I have to figure out how to, how to stop my attachment system from turning a love experience into a living nightmare. So the first things I dealt with before we met were um, 
these are the parameters of what I need for a relationship. And these are just non-negotiable. Okay. So no secret relationships, no fuck buddy relationships, no, uh, casual, we'll see where it's going. Um, you know, but it's completely already a full blown relationship. No, uh, no avoidant attachment styles. No, like, um, I, I need someone who's secure. Okay. No long dis like long distance relationships aren't. And so there were quite a few things that when you came along, I was like, ah, <laughs> fuck. Um, I, I just need something to be like safe and secure and like you're secure, but there were some life circumstances that made it to where we did like work through some difficult shit that, um, the original plan was to, um, and I don't want to get too much into our personal stuff, but our, the original plan when we met, because there was other timelines that needed to be closed out, was take this slow. Uh, we were living in different states, and you were going to come move to L.A. My mom was living with me, and I was like trying to get her moved up to Washington. And so it was just going to kind of line up to by the time you um, had handled all of your stuff, like you were going to move to L.A., like right now, I guess, like this time in the summer, we would get a, a house there or something. And um, then the apocalypse hit. And at the beginning of the apocalypse, I was kind of like 50-50, like either this is going to be a couple week of lockdown. It was the um, the quarantine, either going to be a couple week lockdown or potentially like all of society, you know, we go full walking dead. <laughs> And um, we didn't want to be across the country from each other for that. So we decided to uh, come. I'd bring the kids out and hang out here at your house just to see how it plays out. And um, that turned out to be pretty triggering for me. Um, Some things that I kind of knew about myself but didn't know about myself is uh, when I don't feel I don't like anything that's like not mine. I don't like to, like, I get trapped. I feel trapped pretty easy. And so, like, not providing the resources is scary for me because I don't want to feel like I'm relying on you to get out or, like, you could treat me bad and then I would be stuck here, you know. So there was, just with the circumstances, and then there were other external factors that were adding a lot of, like, pressure and stress to it. So it it was a near, like, pretty intense, I would say, six weeks of triggers to kind of work through and I I stayed awake for most of it I think I was pretty I had done quite a bit of homework I also at the beginning of relationships I recommend this now talk about the attachment stuff like up front so it kind of organically came up in conversations between us um, I think before there was a relationship there just like oh probably what you encountered with your past relationships is the thing that I do where I, I am independent until I'm in a relationship and then I'm freaked out because you might f- hurt me. And then I'm like preoccupied with that. And in unconscious relationships, um, I really projected that onto the other person and made it their problem. Cause we're kind of trained to believe that if I feel this way, it's your fault. And I just look at what you're doing and it's like, you know, I didn't know that like, Oh, I have hypervigilance. So um, all you did was get a stressful text from someone else and you're processing it, but I'm reading that as distant, like you're not liking me and whatever. And rather than being like, Hey, I'm triggered my bad, you know, probably my issue. What's up? Like whatever. I would give you the silent treatment. And, you know, I'm trying to think of examples of how this stuff plays out in relationships, but there were plenty of opportunities for my attachment system to go 
sabotaging things in this kind of early relationship. And I'm trying to think of a couple like plain word examples. But for the most part, it was um, you would be going through something yourself that really didn't have anything to do with me. And I would be like my story. So that's another thing in relationships where our stories will hijack things. So if you know that you have a story, like if every boyfriend you've ever had has cheated on you or uh, has abandoned you or, you know, if you know that you like rejection, um, people, you know, you've uh, a lot of narcissists. Like if you've if you've got a loop that you're familiar with, like keep an eye on that, like keep an eye on whether or not you're attracting someone who's going to fulfill that loop for you. But then also keep an eye on a tendency to uh, want to provoke your partner into that loop. So a story for me was you brought me here and left me. Like literally that's the sentence around relationship trauma. And in the other podcast, I traced that back to like my father dropping me off at my drug addict mother's house when I was five. And then I would recreate this like painful dynamic in relationships. And um, up until that Like when I really got in touch with my feelings last summer, I realized like, oh, these people actually loved me. These men loved me. And then I pushed them. Not saying everyone's innocent, like obviously two to tango in every relationship. And they probably had a story that worked with this. But I would get after the honeymoon phase, I would get triggered by just a normal amount of distance because I misread it as abandonment. And then I would um unconsciously like I would confront them about it all the time because society that's what society says is okay I'm allowed to tell you can you get off your computer and hang out with me can we go do something why are we you know and I would just I would do this until like they would shut down because nobody wants to be told you know I don't want my mom to tell me to call because then when I call her it's like fake I don't want to do that you know but I didn't know how to regulate my own shit and I didn't realize like how much of that was like coming from this like place of of like programming and my story. So I think my story showed up because literally I was brought here. Um, not brought here, but I'm like in a, in a place. There were circumstances that made it more uncomfortable than it already would have been. Um, I had uh, sworn that I was never going to live anywhere with clouds again because I'm super affected by the weather. And so it was a, a particularly cloudy apocalyptic spring. And so I was just sad in general. And um, you were going through some things. And so you were kind of like inside of yourself. And this was a very short, like, honeymoon phase of uh, a relationship and then kind of thrust into what ended up being living together. That wasn't the plan. I brought like a small suitcase worth of shit for the first two months. And, or one month, I don't know, what is time? (laughs) But, um, so there were opportunities here for there to be a lot of, like for us to just like pick up where we left off with past relationships, right? Because your like what your story is, um, you don't love, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was constantly. I mean, I was really in that mindset. I I, I genuinely thought, you know, um, actually, when I had a, a mushroom trip like two years ago, that was like the question I brought to it was like, I don't know how to love. Tell me how to love. Show me love. And. Um, you know, I, I, I have a lot to learn in love. I think we all do, but I, I definitely, um, was, was kind of convinced by that through some of these past relationships that 
because it what what it was was just like I couldn't fulfill these other person's needs in the way that they wanted me to, and I would do everything to try, and then I would get kind of in this other like thing that didn't feel real to me. It was like some anxious attachment or some kind of loop, and uh, I would have to call the relationship off and then go to the next one, and then a similar thing would happen, you know. So I, I definitely it. it my trigger would be like things that would come up that would say I'm ins- insufficient in some way. Yeah. That was something that I learned in the last relationship was, um, by the time we learned some of these tools and got some of this language, um, I learned how to, I learned how much of the thing was me and my, my programming and so I, I started changing the way that I confront, like instead of you statements, right? So that's a good way to know if you are working through your programming or blaming someone else for your feelings. Like, ha- like you, sh- you have the right to present your feelings to your partner and to discuss them. You don't have the right to like use those feelings to control them. And so if I'm making me statements in, a, in, in this conversation and I'm saying like, I feel this way. So I would have these conversations with um, my last relationship. And this is all on a podcast. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it. But and I would say, um, but this is like we've already established. I've already blamed him for a bunch of shit. So when I would say like, okay, I'm triggered, I'm activated, I'm feeling this. He would hear you're bad. You're doing the wrong thing. And rightfully so, because I had told him like I, you know, that was we had done the codependent thing. So like, that's the exact way I felt in a lot of my, like, especially the last couple of relationships, right. When something would come up. Um, and I would say it was probably half and half. Like it's, there were times where it would be one sided. Like I feel this way and, and this, I feel alone or I feel you're so moody and I don't know, I can't get attention or whatever it is. And I pretty immediately would jump into, Oh shit, what am I doing wrong? I, I can't do this. And then I would encourage the thing, you know, cause we would be unconscious of it then they would attack back and, and it would, it would, you know, get all foggy in that way. I, I am like, I am realizing talking about this. I, I, I think I'm pretty complicated and I do like go inside a lot of the times to work through things, whether it's something with the relationship or some drama in my life. I definitely like I can, it can come across moody and it's pretty loud energetically. So I get it. Like I, I'm not uh, saying I've been innocent in a lot of these relationships. It, it's, I deal with things in a bizarre way and it's, I've seen how it's been tough to be in a relationship with me in many ways because of that. Um, until like, you know, getting with somebody that is a little bit more, uh, familiar with that and like open to looking at it as something that it's not, uh, their problem. Like it's something that can kind of have some patient with patience with and like they can, I think that's what's really interesting. Like in the beginning of this and a couple moments that have, that came up that would have been triggering for me, the way it was brought up and talked about was easy for him to be like, oh, right, okay, this is already here. We're like crossing a bridge of stability and independence, but we're just talking about the feelings and then we can let those things settle and we can kind of figure out how to find that middle ground with it and be honest about it mostly. You know, like a lot of the problems that came up in my past relationships were the lack of honesty because something would come up, we talk about it and then the body language or the energy wouldn't really be congruent with it. And I could feel the resentment or the guilt about 
something that I was doing that to me felt normal. It felt like my own thing. I'm internally processing something and going through something, but that mood would like completely throw somebody else off and then they would spiral around and, and, and blame me for it. You know, it was hard for me to feel guilty about something that I was going through, but I could see that there was, you know, a lack of, uh, honesty about just where we both were, you know, and my shoes as well, not just up front saying like, I, I'm just processing something completely different right now. It has nothing to do with you. I'm sorry. My mood's affecting you, but it's, it's my issue. I'm just going to go in the other room. I'm going to like leave for a bit. That is, I think where the interdependence thing comes in because codependency is so funny. This old model of relationships, um, where like you owe me something it feels like you're getting something. Like, I have the right to be mad. I have the right to uh, uh, be upset with what you did. Like, the, that we're getting some great prize. Like, that's a right that we want to exercise. When in reality, I have the right to take responsibility for my own feelings. So you are loud when you uh, are going through something yourself. And without a lot of, like, open communication or without having a core belief system that says you have the space to do whatever you want. Like I came into this relationship after everything I learned from past relationships. I never want to be in that loop again. I never want to be in some codependent thing where you're responsible and I'm tossed about. I am super affected by the energy of other people. It, like the, the sensors on uh, my energy sensors are super heightened. And oh, I, Oh yeah. Let me tell you <laughs> that it's, it's wild. I'd be across the other side of the room processing something and you're like, <laughs> you look over like I, I know what's going on um and when you combine that that sensitivity to uh a lot of like childhood trauma and attachment stuff and then just in the last year like really getting in touch with my feelings because I hid a lot of this behind this kind of tough exterior and I'm really trying to become more vulnerable and just like capable of intimacy at large um, there's a lot of opportunity here for me to get fucked up. Now, if you're having a rough night and you're like energetically loud when you are, um, like, uh, when I'm in a bad mood, I'm like self-conscious about the fact that I'm in a bad mood. I'm also just not in a bad mood. Very, I mean, I'm like, I think I'm rant, like ranty, um, arsenal sometimes, but, uh, when I'm in a bad mood, I want to be talked out of it. And, like, I want to be brought out of the... I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy being uh, uh, in a bad mood at all. But I'm also very self-conscious about it. So, like, I can just be, like, frustrated and then... Um, uh, uh, like, I'm almost, like, apologizing while I'm being frustrated. Or I, like, I like um, excommunicate myself to a bathroom or something. Um, all that when I'm not in a codependent loop, when I'm in a codependent loop, I'm in a nonstop bad mood. Everything's just fucking, and it's so addicting when you're in that toxic cycle. It's so addict. You can't wait for them to do something wrong. Cause then you get to be mad. And it's the only way to be satisfied is to, yeah. kind of, to stay in the loop. Right. Cause there's oh. nothing else that really satisfies it. It's hell. Yeah, like it's this time hell. last year, I was like trying to get out of that. It was, it was fucking hell. And I like, I loved this person and we were just we were in a hell of my own making. And um, so interdependence like frees you from that hell, but it means taking responsibility. So when you're having, and this is really kind of the only, we don't, I, don't think, I wouldn't say we've had a fight, 
Um, but we've had to have some intense conversations. And this is just what has worked for me uh, as far as hacking the attachment system. Number one, I talk about it up front. I dated someone uh, before you and like on the first date was like, I have an anxious attachment system. You think I'm cool and independent. That goes out the window as soon as we start doing this, blah, blah, blah. Like I did a really good job of talking about it. I'm like, um, when you're not right in front of my face, uh, I start to get activated and um, sometimes I will try to take your temperature. It's really easy for me to feel like you hate me and so I'll start to take your temperature. That can sometimes be a lot of text but what I'm trying to learn to do is is force myself to communicate my needs at the time which is, hey, is everything okay? Hey, I'm activated. Is everything okay? So that it doesn't become this unconscious thing because when the unconscious mechanisms take over – um, you either avoidantly deactivate and start tearing the partner down because you're scared or you um, anxiously activate and start like cl- like clinging to their energy and, um, you know, making it their problem. So I'm trying to stay conscious and force myself to communicate as much as possible. I later dumped that guy like three weeks later in the middle of the night via text because I was activated. But anyway, I... Um, I uh, discussed these things with you up front and tried to explain, like, I just, this on-ramp will be difficult, just so you know. Like, I don't know how long this takes, a month, a few months, but, like, the the move into a relationship until I have, like, an established database. Once my mind has, like, an established database of your moodiness, of your cycles, of what you're like when you're tired and whatever, it, it calms way down. And then just, unless you start doing something outside of that, um, then it's just, I can say like, this is what he's like when he's tired. This is what it's like when he's frustrated with work, like whatever. Like I, uh, I try to start conversations about my feelings with I'm activated right now. So when we get activated, I don't think this is the same for deactivation, which is where you're trying to separate yourself from the person. But when I'm activated, my body releases cortisol. Cortisol makes like a tightness in your chest. It can make your mouth dry, your hands sweaty. But it for me, it gives me this sense of urgency. Like I, it's fight or flight, 100%. Just I have to handle this right now or else, you know. And so... um I used to, when I was more unconscious with this, this this would kick in and then I would be acting out. I would be loudly giving the silent treatment. You know, I would take a passive aggressive shot so that you would know to pay attention to the silent treatment. You know, we do all these like they're called activating strategies. It's an, it's a way to try to get the person to come closer. And if the if the if the tiny ones don't work, then it gets very loud and confrontational and everything else. Um, some things I learned from reading about um, anxious attachment is that one activating strategy is looking at pictures of your partner. It does something to your brain to make you feel close again. So I started to use that. I think I've always done it without realizing that I've done it. But um, I started to use that consciously as a tool that when, um, I mean, it's the goddamn apocalypse. So for the most part, you're right here. But when times that we've been out of town or whatever, I can just look at pictures and it like it it clicks whatever that thing is and turns it off. And then we don't have to get to a weird thing, which you you have a lot of like sneaky pictures of me, right? I have, have a, a folder. I do. I have a really creepy folder of um, I've caught you many times. If we. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's going to be an art installation at some point. All the times I got caught. I'm in the bathroom pooping and she's got a <laughs> camera like under the door. It's, it's real, a little weird. <laughs> um, 
I'm just fascinated by someone who can poop. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think of all the all the all the tricks. I think it's talking people, very slowly. Talking very slowly. Okay, yeah. So the confrontation. I do also want to give representation to people who are like resonating more on the avoidant spectrum. I have at the beginning of this relationship had waves of more avoidant like oh no what am I doing is this a huge mistake oh my god you know like I focus on some of the complicated um, aspects of the relationship um, I think when you get to the core of the avoidant thing if we're really honest with ourselves it's like why do you like me so much what's wrong with you that you like me so much uh, I played with the idea that you were maybe a narcissist tricking me because you were too perfect uh, what if you just listened to my podcast and figured out how, like, to, how to say the right things I tried a few different things on none of them uh, fit but for an avoidant um, someone, someone experiencing their fear of intimacy on the avoidant side of the scale, um, knowing, I think, and being really honest with yourself, maybe journaling, being really honest with yourself, like, okay, when do I feel these feelings? When do I think all of a sudden I hate my partner? Uh, is it after sex? Is it after a night, a date night? Is it after, okay, so after I have these periods of closeness, I freak out. What if you could talk to your partner and be like, okay, so this hasn't, which is, it's a hard one to do this one because you're basically saying sometimes I think you're gross. But if you can have these conversations with your partners, especially up front and just like, listen, this is what I'm doing now. I have attachment damage. So I'm all over the place for a little bit until I can uh, settle in. So sometimes after a long period of closeness or after intimacy or after some of these things, like I, I need to separate for a little bit because it starts to make me feel panicked because for people with the more avoidant, it's that, uh, when the needs weren't met in childhood, uh, your attachment system decided that the way to stay safe was to not need anyone. So when you have like a lot of closeness with someone, you can start to feel like, oh no, what if I need this person? And then you start to panic, which I think is that thing that I did for a while after I got here. Um, when I would feel uncomfortable, um, I would just get on Zillow and just scroll through houses that I could go rent by myself. <laughs> You know, or just like for us, but it's my house, you know, um, I just needed to like exhibit like, I don't know. I needed to know that I could leave at any moment. I just thought you were really into real estate. <laughs> I know it has to be like, sometimes you just look over and I'm just like scrolling through. So you okay? <laughs> you freaking out? <laughs> um, that's something that I do when I get triggered is I need to exhibit a lot of like independence. So there was just one day where I, you guys were down in the studio all day and I was just up in the house, just slowly losing my mind after I got here. And then I was like, I got an Airbnb. I'm going to an Airbnb for a while. This is like pandemic. I just went and sat in an Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, we were like, okay, we'll yep. see you in a couple of days. All right. Have fun. Um, so, uh, Okay, so anxious attachment style, um, let's say confrontations. Way to express our feelings according to the Interdependence Bill of Rights. Um, your feelings are valid, right? So my feelings are valid. They're not, they're your problem as in they are an aspect of my reality, so they are not now an aspect of your reality. However, uh, I want to get better. Like I want to be able to work with this attachment system um, in a way that's not disruptive of my life. So it's in my best interest for you to have to do as little work for my attachment system as possible. This is my theory on it. Because if I need you, I do think that from the beginning I could have been like, hey, I need to be constantly reassured. But the amount of like reassurance that I need is what, like I can go from, 
he loves me, I'm safe, everything's good, to he hates me and he's never going to talk to me again in like three hours. So if I need that level of reassurance, what are the odds that that's, we're going to like maintain that in a way that's happy for an extended period of time, right? Like I have to be able to figure out how to get myself back down out of those rafters. That's how I feel about it. I don't want to be constantly reassured. I need you to know that about me. And so I tell, like I told you, like, this is what it looks like. Here are some signs that I'm starting to unravel. I'm going to do my best to, um, to speak when I'm in that space rather than, than just unravel. So I think like early, early on, there was something I was panicked about. And you said, do you think this is maybe the thing where, um, you, uh, do you remember that? This was like before I got here. Mm-hmm. Like, does you think this is maybe the thing where you, um, and not like shoving it in my face and I'm not accusing you of anything. And that's the other thing. It's like we get into codependency says that I can accuse you of things and blame you for things. But like, why? Like, okay, cool. I have the right to pull the thread of this relationship. But like, if we want to stay in something where we mutually respect each other and love each other, like why, why would I execute that right to blame you? Cause now I've made it weird. Right. Anyway. So, um, in a, in a confrontation, I would say full disclosure, I'm activated, which means I have cortisol pumping through my system and the cortisol makes me think that things are happening that are not necessarily happening. I know that to be true from fights I've started and then they were nothing in past relationships. I could have just kept my mouth shut. Um, so I'm activated, which means that I feel a certain way that's not necessarily the truth. I need to tell you my feelings. My feelings are not facts. I understand that. Um, it feels like you don't want me here. And um, so this is a position where uh, in the, in the codependent thing, I wouldn't say it like that. I would say, you know, you haven't hung out with me in two days. And I like, you know, I, even if I did talk about my feelings, it would still be in a way that's supposed to make you designed to make you feel bad. Right. And you would tell, yeah, you would say, you don't want me here. You would yeah. tell me that what I don't want, mm-hmm. which would immediately make me feel, uh, I'm, I'm insufficient. I guess yeah. I'm not doing what she wants. I'm, de- I'm uh, so it's early in the relationship. So we, we haven't reached a point. Um, where you would be defensive yet. So I think what you said in the first one of these conversations is, okay, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to change? And I was like, Jesus, don't do that. <laughs> is that what you do? Don't do that. That was hitting up on my my trigger, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think in that moment, um, you know, we could have established some bad habits in the relationship because it is – Ooh, it's a, it is intoxicating to get someone to change what they're doing around you. Like there is, there is kind of a powerful energy exchange. It's a vampire energy exchange, but like it, it you, like the old model says, that's how I know he loves me because he stopped working when I said I was sad or he dropped everything for me. Ugh. And not to say that dropping everything for someone isn't, you know, whatever, but then the next time, um, you, you know, I'm having a feeling and I didn't figure out last time how to deal with my feeling. Now I'm going to expect you to do that again. And Every at some time, point yeah. you're going to feel like, oh, she's using these feelings to fuck with me. And so, um, yeah, you were like, what do you what do you want me to do? And I was like, I don't want you to do anything. I'm just telling you my feelings. 
Um, and then I, and then sometimes I have to just like talk it through and try to figure out, like get to the core. I try to get to like one sentence. What is the sentence? And I am like, sometimes it's, I feel invisible. I feel unwanted. I feel, uh, you know, and then once I was like, I, I feel like you want to be, this makes it sound like it was a million times. It was like three times, but, um, we had to kind of talk through those things because my story matched your story. So there was a huge potential here for us to end up in these fucking loops again. Right. And um, there was once where I think um, it could have just been the day or other stress or whatever. I think whenever you're confronting your partner or your friend, this has come up a lot in roommate stuff, or your parent or anything, you're confronting them with your feelings. It's important to hold space. You want them to hold space for your feelings. It's important that we hold space that we're about to trigger someone. So this is something that like, um, I've even seen in the Facebook group, like people come at me with like two guns ablazing about something they don't like and I get defensive and then it's like, aha, you just think everyone has to follow everything you say. And it's like, I'm, I'm defend, like I'm having, and, and then I would feel guilty and like, I'm not getting, like, but in reality, like people are going to get defensive because like what people hear when you tell them something you did hurt me or I'm hurt or whatever, this bumps up against a part of us is afraid that we're bad. And so I think um, when discussing our feelings with each other, if we want actual resolution, we say, these are my feelings and then be prepared for that person to be triggered and then slow, talk slow, take long bouts of silence is something I've done. I'm usually someone who like fires back very fast. If you send me a text, I'm very like, I'm very quick. And instead, I just sit and think really hard about what I'm about to say. And am I taking responsibility for my own feelings? Am I taking your perspective into consideration? Or am I starting to like get into this old model of just trying to win the argument, right? Because winning the argument doesn't help anything. Am I trying to control you? Because sometimes, and for, I did this big time in the last one, when we first learned about boundaries, because we were both like surrendering our boundaries for each other on a regular basis, uh, we first learned about boundaries. He started setting boundaries about like space. And my boundaries were like, um, it is my boundary that you need to return my text, which is not, <laughs> that's not how boundaries work. Uh, boundaries are for like what you're willing to participate in. And um, they're not for controlling other people. And um, my boundaries sucked. My boundaries were bullshit. It was just so hard to like realize like, this person, like my feelings are my responsibility. I'm here because of a series of decisions that I made and I cannot control this person with, uh, I cannot hijack their life and make them do things. Like if this person needs to take a lot of space after, for me, I need to clear the air as soon as possible. Like if there's a confrontation, I feel like I'm free falling until we have like figured it out. And that partner is someone who needs to retreat and like and like lick his wounds privately and then um and then come back and uh i would try to um be like well i need this and he would be like well i need this and this is where the truth is that is if this isn't both of our needs are valid and maybe we just aren't a good fit and that's the thing we don't in codependency we cling to a person and we trauma bond with them and then we don't accept the fact that like if fundamentally we don't agree on things that get us into the, and as a, we're in a loop as a result 
We're just not each other's cup of tea. And we have to get better at being like, okay, this is a toxic mess. Let it go. Release this relationship. Um, or like, this is the thing that we've talked about. What's yours? What's mine? What's ours? Right? So like, um, the only real example I think of, of these like activations that I, I am like so grateful for that last relationship because I, I don't, I don't think I would be a good partner for you before that last relationship. But before what I learned in that is, um, when you are not to put your business out there, but when you are struggling with your own like artistic stuff or your own, like how productive you're being or whatever, you get frustrated. This is projector shit, right? You run yeah, out of three hours. Projector shit. You get, you get frustrated in a way I think that reminds me of my mom being mad when I was a kid. And I, in the past, don't let people feel their feelings. When other people are having a bad day, I want to fix it for them. And I get like overly involved and stuff. And so something that I've really learned from that last relationship is to just like let people have their feelings and don't make it about me. But while trying not to make it about me, I am like the attachment system is like, um, you know, he went to bed without like usually we go to bed together. And like the other night you got up and went to bed by yourself. Right. And in my head, I didn't know what you were upset about. But in my head, I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. We're having a it's fine. Right. But the, the attachment system like doesn't care. And then I like can't get up and go to bed. I'm like paralyzed in, on the couch because I'm like. He doesn't want me to go in there. And all of this used to be so unconscious that this would have been a big dramatic thing. I never would have come in the bedroom. I would have spent the night on the couch. I would have woken up pissed. Like old, old relationship me. It would have been all of this like unconscious drama around this. But I try to use my words as much as possible. So after sitting on the couch being like, you know, it has nothing to do with you just fucking. I, so I say something so that I can get off of the couch. So I'm just like, do you hate me? And I try to make it like cute or funny, right? But you know, you know what's up. And then you were like, what? No. And then you went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, I went to bed, but then it was like, I was like awkward. Like, do I sleep next to him? Do I sleep? I just I slept on the other side of the bed. And it's this, it's once the attachment system gets involved, like all the like intuitive living goes out the window and it's making me like overthink things. And um, because of this underlying philosophy, which is that my feelings are my responsibility, I can't really go down this rabbit hole of like, well, he should have done this and he did, 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 did. Like there is that voice in my head that was like, he knows that I'm flailing. He knows that uh, he could just say one thing and like take me out of these rafters, but he's just going to go to sleep. Like that voice exists um for like a minute or two and then it's like i'm not indulging in that like that's not productive he's going through his own shit how fucking annoying for me to attach my feelings to it if he had an issue with me he would tell me he has an issue with me this bullshit this is like my responsibility so then i just i like i go to sleep i'm not indulging in that because it's just gonna fuck the relationship up and it's for what so that I can tell you, hey, I know you're already feeling bad about yourself. Have you considered that you also suck at this? So I go to bed and then the next morning I wake up. You get up out of bed. Um, just these stupid things that my brain like just has like 
uh, notices, how fast you get up out of bed, uh, whether or not you open or shut the door uh, when you walk out of the bedroom. You know, you always make coffee and bring it to me in the morning, whether or not you bring in your coffee and sit down next to me. And I don't mean to mention these things right now to put pressure on them because they are things that I like them when they organically happen. But when they don't organically happen, I think the what's happening there is you needing proximity because you're dealing with something that has nothing to do with me. So you are, those are things that are creating distance, right? You're closing the door. Like it's an unconscious, like creation of distance. You're jumping out of bed so that we don't engage because you need that distance because you have something that you have to work out in your own head. But my attachment system is like, oh fuck, oh fuck, we're in danger. We're unwanted, whatever. And like consciously, I know better than that right now. I mean, five years for me is 20 years. So, or five months for me. Um, is 20. So like we're well into an established relationship in just a time. And so I know better than that. But the the like my body starts getting like the cortisol starts hitting and uh, old me like old unconscious me in this mechanism would be like who I would get dressed and I would dramatically get ready to leave even though I have nowhere to fucking go. I would give you the silent treatment because I would I would take it like you were fucking with me and whatever. And it's all this like just injured inner child shit. And instead, I just texted you and said, I think I got activated. Are you okay? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, I think I got activated last night. And then you had space then to be like, this is my, you know, I think I was frustrated with something and I was just trying to get space and like, what? and then we were able to have a conversation about it. And then it's, and then it's fine. Um, and uh, I think you asked me yesterday, like, I, would it have been easier for you if I would have, like, when I got up from the couch, I thought about the fact that, like, maybe I should just. Yeah, because I knew, I mean, I I can, I knew all those things were happening, too. Like, even the next morning when I closed the door and I went out and I didn't bring coffee in, I I needed the space for myself. But I knew every little thing I was doing, you were going to be, you know, potentially taking offense to or, or reading into and I, so the the night before when I, I caught myself like getting down uh, a bad mood trail just because I had been trying to get a, get some art done in the day and didn't, couldn't get it done. And then I was, you know, on Instagram and Twitter and seeing all this other people do great work and authentic stuff. And then all of a sudden I was just like in this bad mood and got triggered easily by like dumb, annoying things. And as that was happening, I, I knew I couldn't really, it was loud in the room and, and I knew you were picking up on it. But, uh, so then when I went in specifically, when I left and turned the lights, some of the lights off and went into the bedroom, I was like, she's definitely freaking out right now. And then the fact that you didn't come in for a while, I was like, yeah, she's definitely out there like in her own hell. Uh, and I considered at the time, I was like, I, I could just, cause I knew it was just my problem. It wasn't anything to do with you that you know crossed my mind that I could just uh instead of letting you go through that just I could reach out and say hey it's just you know I'm going through something I just need to be, needed to be I didn't even need to be alone but I was just like that's why it's so loud I mean I'm moody you know it's nothing to do with you but there is that at that juncture it is it kind of came up I was like well I you know should let her go through that and process that uh on her own cuz it it is it was just my my issue but see, there at that point too, it's like I am aware of the difficulty of those moods sometimes for anybody, for friends or anything. It's always been something that's been a little bit of an issue. I can't hide my mood. 
Um, and it's hard to not take that personally if you're around and there's not a lot of communication about it. So, um, I think that is something that like will come in time through our own discernment and being able to gauge like, okay, this is like a huge shift that happened very quickly. Uh, it's probably beneficial for me to just clear the air and say, Hey, just in a bad mood, like, sorry, this is so difficult. I'm just going to go, you know, be alone for a bit or whatever to just cool that off. Um, but I think I had gone so far and I, and I just kind of was energetically and like body language and stuff. I had kind of been, and I didn't even aware, I wasn't aware I was in that mood until it was like too late. And so I just had to get out of the room. Um, and so at that point, yeah, it just felt like I, I, it was more beneficial to just let you figure it out, you know? And then, uh, when you did text me that, which I didn't see until like 30 minutes later, cause I was trying to distract myself with Legion watching Legion and get my head out of the, out of the clouds. But, um, you know, I, I felt like that was maybe the better thing to do. I don't know what you thought. But. Um, I don't think either one is wrong. I mean, um, I think, uh, that's what I feel. I mean, yeah, like, but discernment over time is kind of one of those things you start to learn to gauge where I know my husband was moody and I just like pretty early on figured out what did and didn't have anything. It, we never fought, so it never had anything to do with me. I, I, I could just see it for what it is and, and let it be. And I think the most, for me, the most important thing is that I be the one aware of my hypervigilance and attachment system and that I use my words. So for me, it, it is helpful when I do communicate that with you, that you have some space, you know, for it, but also like for me to keep in mind that, you know, uh, this is the thing I did in the last relationship was he was similarly moody and um, I made it about me all the time. And it's just shitty. Like, I think back and I'm just like, God damn it. Like, Well, that's where I think that's the – because, I mean, equally for me, I should know if I'm getting into a mood that I just pivoted so quickly and I'm all of a sudden in a bad mood. It's my responsibility to kind of let you know that, you know, if it's – I mean, it's pretty obvious sometimes. But but it is difficult, like, in those moments because I, I know it's just me and I'm kind of just focused on that and I'm trying to remove myself to not, like – flail this all over everybody so i kind of like pretty quickly just get out um and then so there's that dance where like now it's f for you to decide and, and know and be aware that's like if you are getting upset about that that's your thing and not mine but there is a confusion there to know you have to kind of like gauge well wh what happened in the last five minutes when it shifted did i what did i say what did i do that did it did it something trigger him but that's up for both of us to try to like navigate ourselves, right? And then and then discern whether it's of value to like then say something, you know, or not. Yeah. So I think every every one of these situations offers a new opportunity to um like communicate. I think that's right. the most important part of interdependence. And not to just like completely unpack I don't really have like a lot of conflict here to kind of go over um, I feel like the roommate one is going to be more interesting, but 
the interdependence sounded kind of cold, I think, because it just sounds like nobody gives a fuck about anyone else. Yeah. And that that's not the situation here at all. Like It's just really complicated and so subtle, I think, right? Yeah. And it is like it is when I'm taking responsibility for my own stuff and I'm not indulging, because that's what it feels like to me. It feels like indulging in blame. And it's intoxicating to be like, you are bad. You made me feel this way. And it's intoxicating to try to get you to change your behavior or to make your bad mood about me. Like those things are really easy to slip into. Uh, projection is fun. You know what I mean? I was going to say even just for projectors in general, because it, a big part of uh, projectors like weakness is bitterness and blame. It feels really easy to in the lifestyle of a projector because you're constantly waiting for invitations or you're waiting for other things. There's a lot of uh, to have fulfillment from that. If you're 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 bitter about not getting that, it's much easier to just blame other people for it. Um, I've found myself in that that like loop a lot in the past when even before I understood projectors projectors. Uh, that it, it's just much easier to blame everybody else. And so I could stay in my own head, not communicate my emotions, not communicate something, and then just uh, have resentment and blame for other people in my head, which got me nowhere. And he's talking about human design for anyone that yeah. doesn't know that. But that that brings me to another good point. I'm like really scraping the barrel of like, uh, I feel like I have so many more. I, I, have, I can write a full book on not what to do based on the... Um, last relationship and how many mistakes I made. And then all I have from this one is like, okay, so I'm reverse engineering what I did last time. Um, but energy levels is the thing that the human design kind of highlights um, between us. Cause I'm a manifesting generator and I I'm, assume it's not surprising to anyone that listens to this podcast or pays attention to my social media. I have a lot of energy and I need a lot of moving scenery and um, obviously the, um, the apocalypse um, has created some limitations to the way that I'm used to living my life. And I did eventually move here to Nashville and um, I didn't love that idea. I don't love, did I already say this on this podcast? We tried to record this before and the recording didn't work, but sitting still in one place like like this this I came here for uh, what we thought would be a little bit of time, right? And um the plan was still to move back to somewhere that's constantly sunshine. And then it became obvious that that's not just that's not the way reality's going. And after I got here, I saw you in this house, particularly you have a music studio here, and I was like, "Oh, this dude's not moving to LA." Like he's like, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. Something energetically with you and this studio, like you're, as of right now, not ready to leave here. Like I don't know what would have happened if the world didn't start to crumble, but um, I don't think I can't imagine a scenario in which we were getting. A house in LA like I think you need to be here like I can feel it you need to be here for whatever it is that you have to accomplish here and so that kind of um, left me with a decision about you know do I is this is this a deal breaker for me like can I be here can I be happy here because it's uh, giving up some things that I wanted for sure 
my work kind of makes it to where I can live anywhere. And this is closer if I have to live in a world where I have to drive. This is actually closer to where my children's father is so that it, it does make a better lifestyle for them because they get to spend more time um, with their dads. So there's some benefits there. But anyway, overall, like being locked on this property is kind of your dream come true. <laughs> yeah, I got the lucky end of the straw there. <laughs> Um, it is not my dream come true. And, uh, and I'm, and I know that and I, act, I, I do, uh, intend to, you know, be open to that in, in the future. I just, I got lucky for now. I, that's, I, I'm, I'm like trying to light the fire and get stuff done because I know it's, uh, and you know, potentially if this apocalypse, depending on how long it lasts that the, uh, you know, I desire to, to do that and travel with you and be in your little energetic engine my little bubble yeah um so that was that there's a potential for you know um an imbalance there where i'm someone but this tends to be i i tend to be the energetic one in most connections and i was very social when i met my husband all the husband stuff i'm talking about second husband obviously not the one when i was a teenager and pretty early on, we just established that, like, he wasn't interested in hanging out with friends. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a social guy. And so that was just a life that I lived without him. That was just, like, all my socializing he just wasn't included in. And we just pretty much figured out, like, what are you into? What am I into? I'm not going to sacrifice what I'm into for you. And I'm not going to drag you along. I don't like that energy exchange, you know? So that was something when I got here, I was like, okay, this, um, this feels like something you need right now. So I'm going to compromise for this. It's not the end of the world. I'm pretty like open for whatever life experience, but I can say that after I've been here or if the apocalypse went away, after I've been here for a while, like the desire to be out and roaming around, those are the kind of things that like, when I was younger and earlier relationships, I would lock, you know, like, well, I need to be doing like we always do, 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 you know, and it's like it's another one of these things where um, forcing someone else to do something is a meshment, but rather being like, here's what I need and I'm going to do it with or without you. And I'm not telling you that as a threat. I'm just like, that's fine. Like if if my outside life doesn't involve you, then that's cool. Um, I will find a way to like, and if at some point I can't take it here anymore, I, I can't take the rain or whatever. I'm just going to go get a house where it's sunshine and we can either have two houses or you can come with me or whatever. But like, I'm not like, it's like open handed when I say that, like, you know, I'm just going to do what's in my best interest, but not in a selfish way. Just like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because it feels very compassionate and it makes me want to give more but like freely of my heart and then i'm assuming vice versa yeah and i think the biggest thing like you've said is, is the communication and the honesty throwing that out on the table and then both of us finding that middle way that like allows uh both of us to flourish and until it doesn't work if it, if it ends up being uh you know unbalanced in some way but the honesty of it and and knowing that up front is the best you know obviously the best way I, I've had relationships where that just wasn't, there was a um, lack of honesty there, like about it because of the fantasy bond. Well, you know, somebody would just say something that they didn't quite mean. And then it would come to fruition, you know, months later that like the resentment and the like unhappiness. And then we would, 
go through their argument of, well, why are you happy? Well, it's because I can't ever leave here or whatever. It's like, well, okay, I didn't, I, I thought you said it was fine. You know, like, it's just, it's funny how we can, like, by not being honest um, and thinking we can, like, fake something, we think that that'll be a better, we'll be happier and it'll just, it'll work out. But I've always been under the assumption of, like, why do that? Because eventually it's going to bite you in the ass. Somebody's not going to be happy and eventually we're going to get to the bottom and it's gonna we're going to go through all this pain and waste of time. Like, right up front, try to get everything honest out. And if there's there's a roadblock there then that's kind of a clear sign to be like okay yeah maybe this isn't quite right um and let's hang in there for a little bit but then we're both aware that like we're just going to ride this until it doesn't work and then we get off you know instead of it just like endlessly going on unhappiness you know looping around on things it's such a it's painful and it's it, it is kind of a waste of time you know that's why um i think this idea of relationships lasting forever does more damage than help because it could just last like a relationship could just last a long time i it would be cool like that black mirror episode where they like push that button and you get to see how, how long, long the relationship yeah. that would be sick if you knew like okay we got we got a three-year one on our hands here they, it might be going that way like we've been talking about if there could be an app that included human design astrological charts everything so you could kind of get a gauge about like how I don't know. I could see how that could expand into the future with technology that eventually you would get a, a pretty good estimate on like how long this will last given where we are in our lives and our charts and in our energetic like uh, ways that we can we can actually work together. You know, it seems like that. I feel like Black Mirror is kind of a allegory for the future. It, it knows something. Yeah, it's well, absolutely. Close. It is pretty close. I think. um I think when we when we pretend that a relationship has to last forever, which just isn't statistically the way that things work out anymore. Like you just um, we're all changing and growing so much and our priorities are changing and there's so many new options and realities and timelines to hop on. The odds of us spending 10 years even with the same person are slim. So when we when we lock into that then it starts to cloud all these things and really obvious things in hindsight. I'm like, oh, of course that was a short path with the person. Like we were like fundamentally didn't fit or even just the idea of like so many people in the twin flame thing. I mean, I think that twin flames do serve a purpose, but just this idea of wanting someone that doesn't want you because this idea of love to us, we equate attachment activation with love. And so it's, it's legitimately nuts to chase, and I'm saying this is someone who just did it, to chase someone who doesn't want it. Like that should be the number one requirement for me to want a relationship with you is that you also want one with me. Because what the fuck is the point beyond that? And all of this like, well, he's, no one else is funny. Like he has nobody else. Did that. You know, those are all like we like imprint. I know that when I fall for someone, I like imprint on all their qualities. And then I'm like, where will I ever find these qualities again? But if you look at my type throughout the years, it's like I've been in love five times and you can see my type just shifts to whatever the last person I was in love with and then I'm like where will I ever find someone like that again and then the next person I fall in love with is nothing like that um and then uh I imprint on those qualities and look how much you learn from the variety too absolutely you know instead of having just one thing you kind of are stuck in a box I mean it could happen that one person you know you change together congruently it can kind of be variety a form of variety but yeah, I, I mean, I look back at my relationships, too, and there's they were all 
perfect from this standpoint, from the looking from this place, you know, it just, I learned a lot and it got me to the next one, but then I didn't do some of those same things. I did repeat a lot of the same stuff, but, um, every single one had a, a good little like lesson or kind of understanding of like being with a different type of person, you know? Um, huge pieces of my personality came from, this is what I love about relationships. The opportunity that you have besides the companionship and sharing a path with someone, I think that when people come into our lives, it's to, um, we exchange pieces of each other, like missing pieces and not to put words in your mouth. But I think it's interesting that like, I would say my gift is communicating would you say that i just feel like that's like yeah very much so. my whole thing and i think it's interesting that i came into your life at a time where you were learning how to speak your truth learning how to communicate yeah, yeah. totally it's been it's super helpful and that's what i'm saying like up front in this relationship I, it was so refreshing to just get on the other end like almost over communication, which was so helpful for me to it encouraged me to do that as well. And uh, already got through so many different hurdles that like I would have gotten caught up on um, by not having the the other partner be super honest and just open about everything. And, and that way you can kind of see the cards on the table and, and know that like, oh, right. Okay. Well, I have to then make sure I'm being honest and like check myself too. And so right out the gate, it was the on-ramp for me was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> huh, must be nice. Um, I, uh, I, in my five, rela- my five relationships, I've really only been in, I've like had a couple, couple month things here and there, but I've really, all my relationships were like, I was in love and they were long-term. My first relationship was my teenage husband and he is where I learned compassion and empathy. Um, I was a str- like, you know, uh, had a really rough upbringing and um, I was very street when I met him. And uh, I remember him saying to me all the time, uh, um, put yourself in their shoes, Jessa, put yourself in their shoes. Jessa, you got to put yourself in their shoes to where I heard it in my head after we split up. And I was like, that motherfucker. And that's where I learned empathy was from him. Uh, the second person was uh, my second love was um he taught me how to drink water which was life-changing how to actually drink you still got to pound the water it has to be room temperature he taught me a lot about magic spirituality the third one ex-husband taught me um how to be direct and how to go after things that i want and how to like not be absolutely crushed by the word no and how to be confident in a way that I didn't understand before, uh, how to see things through. I used to be like, I used to be the great initiator, I called it. And I had a hard time seeing things through. And he just kind of like, um, and then he also taught me abundance. Like that's how I hacked abundance was because he um, was really kind of tapped into that. And then um, the fourth person I fell in love with taught me how to feel my feelings. Because kind of what happens is I, um, I don't identify with something at all. And then I fall in love with someone who has that quality. And I hate it. Like I'm completely uh, like anti that thing. And this person comes into my life and they embody it. And so now I'm open to it. And I think this is something we do. It's hard for us to see our ex. And we're, 
they're a new person with a new person and we're like what he doesn't even fucking like that what is he fucking doing with that and then um it's 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 not that they are being fake or something else it's just and this is the painful thing about watching your ex with someone else is they have opened up to something new because that's what relationships I think are actually about. I don't think they're about forever or whatever the fuck we were doing when we were unconscious. I think um, this person came along. I had such an adverse um, reaction with to vulnerability of others and myself. And he came along and he was so vulnerable and in touch with his emotions. And I couldn't cry in front of anybody. Like I would rather die than have someone see me cry. And he could just cry. And when he had a feeling, I still admire this so much. When he had a feeling, he could immediately identify the feeling and not just on the spectrum of like mad, sad, happy. He was like, I'm feeling, um, you know, sad and regretful because of this and he could just like he could just identify it and I was so in love with him that I was just like this is beautiful and so then that part of me was able to come forward and I like allowed it to come forward because it was something I was so interested like I saw it as beautiful all of a sudden where if a dude cried in front of me before that like I would never be able to talk to them (laughs) and now I love that I like it opened me up And I think, I mean, it's a little bit early to call it, but things that I've already noticed about you is... Taught you how to love trees. You taught, Yeah, like you taught me how (laughs) to like be on this planet already in a way that I um, have like a rough relationship with my own body and the planet and stuff. Like I just want to disassociate into outer space all the time. And there's a big message that I had been getting as I started to, like I healed all this emotional stuff. Like you're the logical next progression where it's like, okay, now come down into this body and then look around. Like I didn't, I never even noticed my environment all the time. Like I could live in a house for a really long time without even, I've like, without even noticing an entire piece of furniture, if I couldn't sit on it, just like after three years, I'm like, Oh shit. When did that get there? And people are like, what? Like I'm famously, I never know where my car is parked. I'm just like famously tuned out to my reality. And you have this just like, I call it a Disney princess. Like you walk outside and the birds flock to you. And like a wasp was in the car the other day. And you were like, oh, a little waspy. And you just like, this just like grace. And nature just cooperates with you. But it's everything. It's just like when I watch you just like cleaning up the space or like creating a vibe where everything I have is always just sterile, you know, because I'm overstimulated and I have no, I can't connect to the environment long enough to make something look cool. I've just been like really disassociated for 20 years since I woke up. It's something I did when I was younger, but I've just like worn clothes like a uniform, sterile, nothing on the walls. And it was right before you came along, I did set that intention where I like, I think I'm ready to settle in to earth. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'm not getting out of here anytime soon. So I'm going to settle into that. And then, but there's just something so beautiful about the way that you do it and the way that you exist. And you're like insane kindness in everything that you do. And that's so like compelling to me that like, as I'm tuned into you, I'm tuned into like, Oh, there is a dance here with this world. Like there is a dance it's, I hate it because I'm like, I'm going to be a fucking vegan, aren't I? That's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, 
But just shit that I do that I don't even notice I did. Like I reach out to like plants and I pull leaves off and then I fold them because I'm fidgeting and I fold them up in my finger and then I chuck them and then I do it again. And I like notice that, that I'm doing that around you because I'm like, oh, he can probably feel this plant's feelings. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, literally <laughs> like, ah, ooh, ooh, yeah, just, just get softer, softer. Um, uh, thank you for that, babe. That's very sweet. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Um, you Just real quick, you have uh, already taught me how to be deeply authentic i'm still working on it but because it was a giant wall in myself that i'm hacking down but um that and and being unapologetically uh honest and and open with the emotions my emotions as well and then also i think there's a that some of your sweet sweet arsenal energy has has rubbed <laughs> off on me a little bit which i needed because you needed to say i'm uh kind and i in an odd way i've i think that's a great quality about people but i've um been taken advantage from that before because i didn't have an assertiveness that is needed sometimes and an ability to kind of draw a boundary and 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 for for protection from that to just not be taken advantage of so that assertiveness knowing when to kind of um pull that out you know and have I don't know if I'm very arsenal in general, but I, I'm calling it that because that's the language on here. But uh, yeah, all of that. I think the biggest thing is just not being afraid to be authentic and 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 stand in that confidently. You know. Yeah, um, I'm not good at compliments. I'm trying not to make that noise. I think you already did. Did I? Yeah, God damn it! So uh, for those of you that don't know the joke, um, when people compliment me, it makes me very uncomfortable, and um, particular when a partner says something nice to me i like it but i i like my body rejects it or something uh on the last podcast he said i sound like a sick cat he's like you make this noise what is this noise <laughs> and that is kind of what it sounds like <laughs> and now it's just me trying not to make that noise and i think you said something nice about me on the episode of sudden movements coming out this week you didn't even you said lovely girlfriend or something and i went <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the mic it's great you can listen for it it's very subtle but it's in the beginning all right well we got the plug for your podcast i didn't mean for that to get mushy at the end there but i thought i'd um i think there's value in allowing relationships to come in and out of our life without trying to fucking make them last for goddamn ever and um i would have punched you in the face if you said this to me this time last year and now look at where i'm at I didn't want to let that go no matter how miserable I was making both of us. And now look what I have. So, um, anyway, uh, I feel weird, but, um, I hope that this helps. And, um, in the next week or two, we're going to do like a, a, a friend roommate family version. If you guys are interested in it, I just felt like it would be helpful to whore out my own personal life experience for the sake of, um, clarifying the nuance of interdependence. So anyway, where can people find you, Mark? Uh, Here in this goddamn studio because we're locked down for a pandemic. Yeah, Sorry, go geez. ahead. Um, on Instagram, Fat Horse Ranch. On Twitter, Mark Pontius. And then uh, have a podcast called Sudden Movements. I just put the second episode out just before we did this. So it's out. You can find that on all the podcast apps. And... Um, that's it. 
Awesome. There's crazy good music on that podcast. Thanks. Yeah, I'm trying to make the whole thing just be kind of uh, a way to express myself in many ways, not just talking authentically, which is still a little bit difficult for me, but uh, it's it's very fun. But then, yeah, you know, trying to change the music up and have uh, quotes from other people. I don't, you know, all of that. Um, you can find me at Just Read Comedy, Twitter and Instagram. Readings from now on, I'm going to try this. I, you can book them the day of if I'm doing readings that day. So we're going to start doing readings on a day that I'm like, hey, this is a good day for readings. It's only going to be like one or two days a month. I'm going to focus most of my energy on Patreon. Um, if I'm going to be doing readings that day, it's at jessareed.com. And I will open up the slots by 9 a.m. Sorry, 10 a.m. Pacific. So check between 10 and 10.30 Pacific if there are time slots available for that day. Um, if it's an emergency or something, message me or, you know, Lacey, Amy Spicer, um, Tierra, I'll give um, amazing readings. More people, you can check out imaginationproject.org, imagination with a Z instead of a T, and there's lots of great readers there. And then Patreon is two bonus episodes a month, do an energy reading once a week-ish, and a live video once a week where we just chat. And um, that's patreon.com forward slash Jessa Reed. So uh, we will see y'all next week. See ya.